What do you do on Sundays? We talk about Kate Blanchett, the acting, the costumes, the awards, but mostly the Blanchett of it all. Oh, oh, I'm not acting. <laughs> you think this is a love affair? I saw you, Erica, meeting in the middle. This is Sundays with Kate, and I'm your host, Mortada El Fadi. Welcome to a new episode of Sundays with Kate, our podcast series about the films of Kate Blanchett, and the second episode of our mini-series about the 2013 Kate Blanchett film Blue Jasmine. Today we'll be talking once more about Blue Jasmine, but also about its connection to Tennessee Williams' A Streetcar Named Desire. And my guest is TV and film journalist Candace Frederick. Hello, Candace. Hello. So exciting to have you on the podcast. And I usually to be here. Usually I start asking my guests about a few questions about Kate Blanchett herself before we dive into the film. So do you remember the first time you saw um, a Kate movie or you saw her in a movie or on stage? I have not had the pleasure of seeing her on stage, but uh, the first time that I recall really being just completely floored by her performance by her mm -hmm. uh was in notes on notes on a scandal notes on a scandal mm -hmm. um whatever year that was i recall that very distinctly because i had a lot of opinions on that movie and the story and her character and i thought a lot of that was due to the complexity that she brought in her performance and, and she's just that girl <laughs> like she's she's very very good at uh provoking a lot of emotions from her audience. She is. And No Son of Scandal is also one of my favorite performances of hers. So what do you think of when you think of Kate? Usually with somebody who's had a, a career like hers, which is over 20 years now, people have impressions of the actor. What's your impression of her? She seems to be incredibly devoted and committed to every character. And I mean, I'm saying this even for like, I saw her most recent movie, Where'd You Go, Bernadette, which I do not like, but she has such a thoughtful and compassionate approach to her characters mm -hmm. that and such a classical approach, which I can't really explain. It's just something that is it's so apparent that she has such a theatrical background and, and mm -hmm. uh, just very well trained and knows how to use just her body and her eyes, which is extremely important as an actor to draw in the audience. So she just seems to be that kind of full package where it's almost like a throwback of old school. What, how, how you learn how to act back yeah. in the day, like in a very kind of uh, like almost Shakespearean trained Yep. And it's great that you brought that she brings a theatricality to her performances because this is a good segue to start talking about Blue Jasmine and Streetcar because Kate is known as a theater actor and has played Blanche Dubois on stage in a production by Liv Ullman that started at Sydney Theatre Company and toured. And I was lucky to see it here when it came to BAM in Brooklyn. And Jasmine is definitely a riff on and Blanche and I think the fact that about maybe four or five years before she shot Blue Jasmine is when she was doing Blanche Dubois when on stage and I think that was like the perfect training to then 
give this performance that is, I think, really astounding. It is. It is. I mean, and certainly worth every every award that she received for it. It's funny because, yet again, I walked out of another Kate Blanchett movie and didn't even realize how much it resembled um, or was inspired or is related to um, a streetcar named Desire. Until I was in the, I was in the um, elevator with other people who had who had just seen it, who had just left my screening as well, and they had mentioned that I was just so transported to her world, her character's world, mm-hmm. that I completely detached it from everything else. But of course, the 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 comparison is extremely is extremely uh, valid for sure. But I remember just in the very beginning that I did not that that wasn't my immediate thought. And I think that's because you're just astounded by the performance itself. Because there are a lot of like character and performance driven movies, but this is one that it's just if it's not for the performance, I think it will be a completely different film and it is as successful as it is i think because of the performance so i totally understand your reaction yeah i mean i i love the film in totality i think everybody is fantastic in it i think um sally hawkins is also really 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 good in it it's a very different type of performance than i usually see her in and that's probably just going back to happy go lucky which i always tie her to no i have never been to san francisco i'll be staying with my sister jasmine oh my god look at you <laughs> your place is homey oh, the flight was bumpy the food was awful i mean you'd think first class I-, I thought you were tapped out i'm dead broke really i mean the government took everything all i can say is you look great oh uh, now who's lying <laughs> So Blue Jasmine, as we talked about, is a riff on Streetcar. So as if you're listening to this podcast, you know what Blue Jasmine is about. Jasmine arrives in San Francisco to stay with her sister Ginger after the fallout from her marriage to a crook. And she is penniless. And then Ginger is the stand-in for Stella. That's played by Sally Hawkins. Chili is Sally Hawkins' boyfriend. He's the standout for Stanley. And this brings us to sort of like the first difference between Streetcar and Blue Jasmine in that Stanley is not the focus. And this mm-hmm. is also something that was apparent in the Liv Ullman production. It's Joel Edgerton played Stanley there, but they made mm. Blanche Dubois. They gave her the play again. That was something that I noticed in that production. And this movie takes that even further. I think Jasmine is at the center and everybody else. Um, all the actors are, are working at top notch, but they're also all around her. And she's the center of this story. And one of the things that they really took out is the sexual tension between Stanley and Blanche, which is one of the main things that ends that play tragically but here there that doesn't exist the tension here is completely different it is a tension of class and it is a tension of people who just don't like each other yeah and even in a familial aspect i would say because i think that what i always got from the tennessee williams um original production is that it always seemed like there was not that Stella and blanche were that that they disliked each other it was just like they were just extremely different women and mm-hmm. and had way different very very different relationships to men and mm-hmm. particularly to Stanley and I but yeah I definitely agree with you with with Blue, Blue Jasmine that they really centralized Blanche in the original production she's not really centralized I would say that 
Stella is actually centralized in the original production, but she's such a she's such a quiet character that it seems like a lot of things are just happening around her. But I think that a lot of that is her trying to keep everything together, even, you know, being acutely aware of the fact that her husband and her sister are deeply at odds and exposing things about each other that she has suppressed. But yeah, and I think that that is kind of inverted in Blue Jasmine, where Jasmine is really focused on Blue Jasmine. We're following her, her experience and her point of view as that is unfolding. Although the quote unquote Stella and and Stanley version of that are in Blue Jasmine, they don't seem to be, there doesn't seem to be a tension between them like there is in the original production. No, there isn't. Yeah, I agree with you on that. The other thing that I think is different is that Blanche Dubois is written as really more vulnerable um, and sympathetic, even though she is, as Jasmine is also not a great person. She's flawed, totally. I mean, and that's, you know, I think that's where Blanche really, really excels. But she has like these forthright characters. And I believe that Jasmine is a lot more forthright than Blanche, who made no qualms about not being particularly a perfect person. But I think Jasmine does claim to be a perfect person. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Despite everything that she shows us, (laughs) that she shows us. They are both sort of the architect of their own downfall. Both characters are. They come into the play and into the film with a web of lies and they spin even more lies. But I think the little difference is that in the performance of Kate as Blue Jasmine and in the performance and in the script itself, maybe Jasmine is more directly culpable in her downfall. Because as we know, at the end, she's the one who instigated the call to the FBI that led to the whole house of cards tumbling down. And I love, there is one scene, there are a lot of scenes that I love, but one that I really sort of like is early on in the movie after um, Jasmine gets to San Francisco and meets Ginger and Chili and they talk about her husband. And in this very chilling scene, I think in the backyard of a restaurant or in the backyard of the house, she talks about how Hal, her husband, killed himself in prison um, and how he committed suicide. She's dead-eyed. She's talking about the mechanism of how he broke his neck in like lurid detail. And you look at her and she's completely dead-eyed, which to me sort of is an admittance of guilt because she is going into such detail that she is admitting guilt to us and she's giving us so this is one of the things i like about the screenplay they're giving us this so early on in the film and the performance is is telling us this woman is guilty of something so early on and we actually don't know what it is until the denouement which comes an hour and a half later yeah i mean both jasmine and blanche have always had a sort of detachment from reality and when Mm -hmm. they talk about it to other people out loud it becomes skewed. It becomes very, uh, it's like, it's fine. Or it's like, it, 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 it almost seems they present it very deescalated, mm-hmm. even though it's yeah. such something that is such a large profound thing that just happened or that happened. Um, but every time that they talk about it, they, it's always, and I, and I, cause I love the, the moments between Jasmine and her sister. And, and I think that, Kate and Sally work so well together where there's such 
attention. Like they're both talking. They're both very um, vocal about things. Jasmine even more so. I think uh, her sister tries to just kind of appease her, but she also confronts her. But they they talk around each other as sisters do. You know, when yeah. they particularly this very passive aggressive, aggressively passive aggressive <laughs> way in which they communicate, and it's just like what you both are. You're not. They're not listening to each other, and that happens. Yeah. They there's a confrontation, and it, and it comes to a head, and. Jasmine almost thinks that she won the argument. I'm just like, I don't, I don't think there's any winners here. I think it's, it's very, there's, it operates has, as it always has been. The street, a street corner desire has always operated in this sense of uh, perspective and um, um, illusion, yep. um, and what people choose to um, believe as a reality. There is always microaggressions in all the scenes between Ginger. And Jasmine, to your point, I remember even early on when when they first meet in Ginger's house and Ginger incredulously asks, did you fly first class? I thought you were tap tap, <laughs> which is that's just one. There are so many things. And, and then when Ginger is in the flashbacks, when Ginger is visiting Jasmine at her home in New York, she can't believe that she has to spend five days with her sister. And she's like, my God, five days, which is also one of my. <laughs> Favorite Kate Blanchett line deliveries that my god, five days. Hi, Kate. I suppose I have to invite them to my birthday party now. My god, five days. Because she always, uh, um, Jasmine always thinks that everybody else is so incredibly beneath her, which is something that I feel like wasn't really as pronounced in the original production or in, in Tennessee Williams' play. I, I recall very distinctly Blanche just had such she definitely had opinions about something she definitely kind of turned her nose down at the brute I remember brute being used the word brute Mm -hmm. being used a lot to describe uh, Stanley uh, Stanley. Mm -hmm. there wasn't a patronizing sense that she had towards Stella not as pronounced as as it is in um, Blue Jasmine where it's almost every it's it's so palpable at every single time every time they, they occupy this space yeah, I agree. I mean, I think Jasmine hates everyone except, like, everybody associated with Ginger she looks down with, her ex-husband, Chili, the friends she meets, the date they set her up with, the job they get her at the dentist, all of these things that they're doing to try to help her, she's always looking down. She doesn't think anything that's going to come from Ginger or Chili is going to be to her standard, whatever it is that standard mm-hmm. she thinks is. Mm-hmm. And this is something... Totally. Something like, I think there is this class tension between the sisters and and between the flashbacks in New York and the reality of Jasmine today in San Francisco that, to your point, came from Streetcar, but is more pronounced in Blue Jasmine. There's a lot that's muted in the, you know, the very early Tennessee Williams play that I think just with the evolution of time and the way in which we talk about uh, gender relationships now is mm-hmm. a lot more pronounced and we have that space and language to really confront that in a more uh, distinct way. Yeah, totally. Ginger and I are completely different people. Yeah, she got the good genes. It's not genetic. 
You can't always blame everything on your genes. If you prepare to work hard and, and not settle. Oh, you mean Augie? She means me. Oh, who do I have to sleep with around here? I got a stoley martini with a twisted lemon. So is there a particular mm. scene you want to highlight or talk about? The first time that Ginger and her husband really try to sit Jasmine down and, and say like, like they try to kind of talk some, some sense into her thing that I liked the way in which Kate handled that um, or Jasmine, because she's, she's showing Jasmine really kind of hear logic and make the decision to completely turn her back on it. And it's like, these people are wrong. These people are, you know, don't have her best interests in mind. They, they can't even live up her, to her standards. It was just like this constant, she's constantly balking against everything that they were trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's also in the scene where Chili and his friends are um, watching a game on TV and Jasmine is like, can you uh, lower the volume down because I can't study? And they're like, what are you studying? What are you trying to study? Which is another one of those plot <laughs> points is she's such a self-sabotager that she's putting so many roadblocks in, in front of her. She wants to be an interior decorator, but she can't be an interior decorator unless she like gets some degree and she can't get some degree unless she learns how to use computers, which is I'm like, what is that? So she is putting so many roadblocks and they're just like, well, what are you trying to do? Like, tell us. And and she can't. At the same time, she can't explain why. And she can't take the help they're offering her, the advice they're offering her. Because in her mind, they can't offer her anything that she can use. Right. Because it's just like anything that results to whatever lifestyle they're living is where she doesn't want to go. She likes to move or likes to disassociate herself from... How, it seems like how she grew up and her relationship with Ginger. She likes to, she likes to think that she had always been the person that she is today. Mm -hmm. But when she has to confront all these people and all these things from her past, it rattles her because now she doesn't, she doesn't really know. How, like she's still trying to hold on to this um, very like this, this sense of reality that she has that is not at all, everyone else's reality and so when yeah. she goes there that forces her to confront you know that she has a problem but she also fails to, to confront that yeah although she has every opportunity to she is so self-delusional it is mm -hmm. and this is and this and also she is not only that she's always either a little bit high or a little bit drunk or very very drunk and this is one of the performances that you really are always aware of the mental state of the character, not just because of the performance, which is a great performance, but also the performance is aided by makeup, by the wardrobe. So, you know, the sweat stains, I think, are a supporting player in this movie because you always sort of know <laughs> where Jasmine is. What is, oh, is she four Xanaxes in two or three vodkas in? <laughs> And I love that. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because also San Francisco is very notable for not having any humidity. And so there's really no reason for her to be sweating like this, especially when everyone else is not. But and it's also just kind of making her seem even more disgusted with herself. The self-medicating is also help helping support her vision of reality um, mm -hmm. so that she can escape her you know her current space and 
she yeah it's 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 a constant and, and it's so you know again going back to the original tennessee williams blanche always had it together yeah. like you couldn't catch any kind of sweat stains on her she just always had it together you realize when you're reading it that something is off here but she would never show it tate always shows it but she's always like presenting herself as like so holier than thou but blanche always had a pristine approach that mm-hmm. it almost like she can like she can almost like glide through life completely undetected whereas Kate just can't I think some of the themes that are from you know Tennessee Williams original production are again super super pronounced like now we we can now see Blanche as somebody who never really had it together and what that looks like and exploring that a little bit more deeply which I think that Woody Allen actually does very well here yeah, he does. He, I mean, I'm, I'm so surprised that he sort of denied, one, he denied that he ever saw Kate doing streetcar, which I'm, it was in Brooklyn. And as she says, she doesn't go to Brooklyn. So maybe he didn't go either. <laughs> and two, he okay. sort of denied these allusions to, to streetcar when it's so obvious that it's one of the things that not the first time I saw it, because your point earlier, the first time I saw this movie, it was all about just watching Kate. But as I've seen it so many times, you're just sort of looking for, oh, this is kind of a scene that's ripped from from Streetcar. And there are articles online um, that actually say this is an adaptation. And even if you read any of the reviews for Blue Jasmine, they always start with allusions to Streetcar. I mean... Even Manola mm-hmm. Dargis starts her review is like, you know, the illusions to streetcar is copious and obvious. I do recall him denying, I don't know, maybe he didn't see her on, on, on stage and maybe, you know, he didn't have streetcar in mind. It follows the exact same plot it does, <laughs> so, yes. With, yes. with different with different characters. I, so that that is hard to believe, especially somebody who I know is also very trained in the theatrical classics like Tennessee Wine and Eugene on the Elm, people yeah. like that. I don't quite believe that either. Yeah, and it is something that he has done not just in Blue Jasmine, in many of his movies. He riffs on other works. He riffs on Bergman. He riffs on Eugene O'Neill. So, yeah, this is definitely his riff on Tennessee Williams. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to talk a little bit also about just Blanche Dubois herself. Like, here it's Jasmine. It's It's... She's Blanche Dubois as a character is called the Hamlet for actresses. So if every actor wants to play Hamlet, every actress wants to play Blanche Mm -hmm. Dubois. And yes, Vivian Lee is the standard and that is one of the best performances I think ever on screen. But I think Kate in this is also one. But there's so many other actresses who played her. Like, it's such a rite of passage. Jessica Lange, Rachel Weisz, Gillian Anderson. On Broadway, the last two revivals were Natasha Richardson and then Nicole Ari Parker, who did the all-black version of uh, Streetcar. Why do you think this role attracts actresses and why do they love to play her? Oh, man. I mean... Blanche Dubois is, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the most interesting female characters I've ever read and seen on screen. She is very deeply flawed, and I think that as time progresses, I mean, what that was that that original play was written in the fifties, in the forties, forties. We are talking about mental illness and suicide so extremely differently than we did then. 
Um, and you add the cultural nuances as in Nicole Ari Parker's version. I mean, there's so much opportunity for an actor to really excavate our deepest vulnerabilities, a lot that are uniquely female, and really talk about it in a way, in a, in a different way every 10, you know, every 10 years because of the way in which we talk about the various themes of uh, suicide, of loneliness, of um, mental illness, of class distinction. Mm-hmm. All of that is so very, the way in which we talk about all of those things now continues to unravel every 10 years. And so I, I totally understand why it's, why it's always, like people always want to return to it. But it's also a study of just our own insecurities and really talking about a very, 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 diff- a very difficult character mm-hmm. who, I mean, for an actor to bring out all of those, all of those uh, aspects of, of womanhood, of, of, of being a wife, of being a widow, of being a sister, of being potentially, I think, a rape victim. And, and you know, it's just, yeah. it's, it's so much that is involved in this one character. If you can pull it off, you could catapult your career. Yeah, it is. Yeah, you're right. It's such, such a rich, rich character. Yeah. It's so beautiful, like, to see it. I've seen Kate do it. I've seen Vivian's movie. Like, it's, and each time you 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 see something different. Yeah, and one of the things that I also thought about, the first time I was I saw this film, I actually wasn't thinking of Streetcar. I was thinking of Jenna Rollins in A Woman Under the Influence. You know, because Blanche is also, like, her imprint and her influence as a character is not just in the many actresses who played her on TV and film and screen, but also in other characters in other performances of actresses who seem to be doing Blanche, even though the story is not Blanche, which is sort of what I call the the women unraveling. And of course, the gold standard for that is Jenna Rollins in A Woman Under the Influence. So we've seen Blanche, you know, inspire even other performances. I call those women just because I'm a huge, a Moldovar fan, that I call these women, women on the verge of a nervous breakdown. Yes. I say that for that, that entire genre <laughs> of women. <laughs> because I'm including Jenna Rollins' astounding performance and the women under the influence as well, because it's just like these women who are pushed to their brinks, either, either by their own means or societal or familial, and they still have to navigate life in public with mm-hmm. you know am- like often among a bunch of people around them and they have to they're often s- screaming for attention screaming for help but also mm-hmm. have so many other responsibilities that they have to occupy as well and also you know appearances you know the yeah. same thing you know blanche and stella as well as jenna rollins and um jasmine as well you have to keep appearances but you also are falling apart and there's also no one to talk to and also you don't want to talk about it there's there's that's a lot that really identifies with just what it is to be a woman today and being a nurturer and being a provider and and having to occupy all these spaces and and just very rapidly increasingly unraveling yeah. internally mm-hmm. And I love that you brought on Madhavar because, of course, he made a homage to Streetcar, to actresses, to Jenna Rollins um, with All About My Mother, which he 
you mm-hmm. know, the movie was inspired by all of these, by opening night of General Rollins' movie, by Streetcar. And he he gave the dedication at the end of the film to all of them and included Betty Davis, although Betty never played Streetcar, but she has played a lot of women on the verge of a nervous breakdown, totally. like you said. Totally. <laughs> totally. So, yeah, I mean... And another recent performance that I really love that I think is also in this vein of these women is Carrie Mulligan in Wildlife, which is about another woman, this one in the 50s, and also was her marriage in distress and trying to find a way out of that and trying to find a life for herself after that and being completely just not knowing what to do. And I think the zenith of that performance is that long scene where she goes to Bill Camp's house and she's trying to sort of seduce him as she sees the only way for her out is to find basically another man to take care of her. And she's trying to seduce this rich older man and it is sort of a crescendo of a performance it reminded me of kate in blue jasmine in that carrie mulligan in that scene is also charting you exactly how inebriated she gets as the scene goes along and Mm -hmm. and you can see that and i love when i can sort of see that in a in an actress performance just the mental state and the physical state of the character merging together in the performance, which not a lot of people do, which is why I always love to see it. That's a really great example. I mean, I continue to say that time is such a huge factor, like the era is such a huge factor. Um, and we just brought up very different decades. One on the version of Nervous Breakdown, all about my mother, a woman under the influence, Blue Jasmine and Wildlife, all very, very different eras. And you see in the, she reaches this character that they're all essentially playing reaches her full mental breakdown in blue mm-hmm. jasmine but you, but you see how incredibly contained i mm-hmm. think it is in wildlife or in the original streetcar named desire or even as scary as it got in women under the influence she still tried to maintain a sense of stability just not successfully but you see that there's a difference between the era of women under the influence as well as wildlife which is like all she did is really just cheat on her man and she got drunk which is not (laughs) very (laughs) which is you know it's not very like controversial but at the time that is like considered clinically insane yeah and so but but you see how definition of just insanity and mental illness and the way in which we discuss it now and the way in which it's portrayed now and Mm -hmm. even under you know women a woman under the influence it it reaches its pinnacle where it's just like it can't be it's like full insanity at this point yeah that's that's really a very good point You are listening to one of three episodes about Blue Jasmine on Sundays with Kate. Three episodes, three guests, three perspectives. In part one, we discuss Kate Blanchett as the real auteur of Blue Jasmine and the many ways her performance makes her the author of the film. And in the third and final part, we discuss Jasmine and her sisters, Annie Hall, Helen St. Clair in Bullets Over Broadway, Maria Elena, in Vicky Cristina Barcelona, and Cecilia in The Purple Rose of Cairo, among others. All these episodes are now available wherever you listen to podcasts, 
or at sundayswithkate.com. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate and review. Now back to Sundays with Kate. I wanted to ask you also, you know, you, you've mentioned that you really like the film. Did you have any quibbles with the screenplay or the film? Is there, are there parts when it's act for you? Because for me, for instance, I saw the whole Louis C.K. subplot. It's just like, I don't know where it came from and, and what, <laughs> what it helped mm-hmm. to serve. But did you, and I've already mentioned that, but so I don't want to repeat myself, but is there anything that you thought maybe wasn't as well as the rest of the film? I remember really loving it. I, I actually just never remembered Louis Louis C.K. and it's such a deviation from the any other like uh, adaptation of this material. So I'm thinking, okay, I'm thinking particularly of Alec Baldwin's character. Oh, hi. Who, yes. I mean, again, I, I I don't really have any troubles with the movie at all, but I remember being struck by just his visibility mm-hmm. in the film because I because that character didn't have as much I mean from previous production he didn't have as much of a he didn't have that much of a role but but they really kind of personified him in this in a way in which I think previous productions didn't mm-hmm. which I find which I found striking yeah I mean what I liked about what Alec Baldwin did in that in the movie is that he knew who this movie belonged to. And he did that the year after with Julianne Moore, although I think he's more effective in Blue Jasmine. It was Julianne Moore and still Alice. And I don't know, both actresses won the bunch of awards for these performances. Yeah, it's interesting because he, he's not really a, a, seems to be an actor who ever really does that. But those are two examples where he, do, where he does. It's like, oh yeah, that, that is true. But yeah, that, that's not something yeah, that you're I... you're right. He's usually very enjoy. big and showy. You're totally right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I, you know, again, I, I love Kate Blanchett's performance and, and Blue Jasmine, but I also really, really love the way in which those two sisters, they both, are yeah written but also just their dialogue with each other and their dialogue separately i think is is also really well done you know blanche is such a distinct character such a mm. memorable character but again i, I maintain that street kind of desire is really about stella seeing a lot of what's going on in her life it's about these two very important relationships in her life and how what they say about her yeah. And how and what they say about each other. But there are more conversations between the Stella and Blanche characters in Blue Jasmine than I've seen anywhere else. Yeah. And they're really in those that's where we're really getting to the heart of what's going on with Jasmine. Yeah. You know what I mean? And where we didn't at least not in that way in previous productions. But you could do better than Chile and his drunken loser friends. If I thought I could do better, I would, but so far no one's beating my door down. You know, he's sexy and he doesn't steal. Okay, okay, you always have to read those stupid, sarcastic dicks. And one of the things that, you know, when I was doing research for um, for these episodes of the podcast is I read a lot of press that appeared at that time. One of the stories that Sally Hawkins mentioned in several interviews is that she and Kate were the only two cast members who were given the whole script, but they met while Kate was in New York doing Uncle Vanya. They met to flesh out the characters and they built um, a backstory for Ginger and Jasmine, you know, which I think Mm -hmm. to your point, that is why their scenes together pop. 
Oh, totally. Totally. I mean, there's so there's such different people. And, you know, even when Jasmine does make a valid point about mm-hmm. Ginger, you know, it's it's still like because Ginger is so confident or or so comfortable mm-hmm. with her life that everything everything Jasmine says to her she, it just bounces off of her because she's she's comfortable and she's also stable she's more stable than, than Kate you say anything about yeah. I mean more stable than Jasmine you say anything about Jasmine and she, she just it's, it's, a, it's a fight yep I have a fun question for you so there are I use a lot of <laughs> Blue Jasmine's quotes in my real life so sometimes you know I think I would say that that I saw you Erica I have said that to people have you said any of these quotes in your real life I don't remember saying I know I know that I don't say any of the quotes in real life not from this particular movie though I love it I remember Jasmine saying something to the effect of like she was she was yeah she was saying something along the lines of can you not can you not fight in here I haven't I can't take it I I haven't taken my Xanax yet or something to that effect my Xanax hasn't kicked in yet my Xanax hasn't kicked in yet, yes. <laughs> and so I don't I mean like that's something that I just remember because it's because it's something that could definitely apply to a lot of things. It's just like I can't take this moment right now because that's how she <laughs> that's how she reacts to everything that's not about her. I can't take this moment. Like I need to be in I it, I need to suppress this moment. Yeah. Can you please not fight in here? Don't think I can take it. For some reason my Xanax isn't kicking in. That scene also has the famous line because after she says that and then she's talking to Chili and to Ginger, she says the famous line of who do you have to sleep with around here to get a Stoli Martini with a twist of life? Uh, yeah, I do remember that, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Which is amazing. Yeah. I mean, like she was never without some type of sedative. Yeah. And this is where I think the script is so brilliant in that all these lines are so memorable and they pop. And it is also the performance. She just has a way. I think she's one. Sometimes when you watch Woody Allen movies, because some actors don't know how to deliver his lines. Because I don't think they're easy. They are the way people speak, but they're also n- not. It's a mix of like his idiosyncratic way that he speaks and the way that real people speak. And some actors just completely fail and they don't know how to do it. Kenny's brand is a famous example, even though he's a great actor. But Kate has a way of just taking these lines and this perfect Upper East Side New York accent as Jasmine just making them perfect and memorable. And there's so many here. Yeah, she has a... It kind of makes her really uh, perfect for the role because she has, you know, again, such a... I don't want to say holier than now, but something where it's just like she has she has such a theatrical talent that is so is a bit like above a lot of people because it comes from such a like an old school, like, you know, very almost yeah Shakespearean which I mean mm-hmm. is super pretentious and so <laughs> yes. I mean it's, it's also extremely good but it's very pretentious because it almost goes over a lot of people's heads but she also plays a lot of these broken or emotionally detached characters that are extremely grounded like she has like a duality to her where she's like above everybody else mm-hmm. but also like completely not like completely um inconsolable yeah. So now I have some questions to you about Kate Blanchett. Are you ready? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as ready as I'm going to be. Okay. Is there a, 
a time where you thought Kate was underrated. She is somebody who's, you know, she has won many awards, is loaded as one of the best actors of all time and definitely of her generation. But is there a performance that you like that you think maybe other people haven't appreciated? She is super highly rated. Not overrated, but extremely highly rated. Yes. So I'm trying to like think, because she's she like, it almost seems like anytime she does anything, she's nominated for something. <laughs> it's fair. I mean, I love Babel. I know a lot of people at the end, but I love Babel. Yeah, and that is a small part. She has the habit of taking mm-hmm. these small parts just because they interest her. That was a character and performance that really was very important to the plot and very important to another character. So it really, though she might not have as much screen time, her performance is felt because of the the value that it has to the plot. Yeah. Who is your favorite Kate scene partner? Um, Judy Dench in Notes on a Scandal. Yes, that was such a brilliant duet. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. love that too. Oh, yeah. absolutely! I love that. Like, I love that movie so much that I immediately read the book afterwards. Oh wow! <laughs> it's a movie that's has a lot on its mind, and it's a thriller, but it's also fun, but it's also tragic. It's it's a lot of things. Yeah, I mean, it's it's also just like extremely controversial, and it's another character that we're we're asked to make a moral decision and we're at and like our own morals are compromised as yeah. they are for her and that both of them i mean they're both tremendous in that movie oh my god um, yes. and very and very very you know hard hard characters to play i mean i think like the the scene that sticks out to me is when um kate's character is putting on makeup which i always love a good crazy makeup scene i love that in <laughs> us either <laughs> i love yes. a good crazy it seems like what is going on elizabeth moss in us same thing yeah Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) that is a very good one yes who would you like to see kate work with candace maybe has she worked with she's worked with julianne Moore, right um yes but in kind of movies that nobody remembers like early on in their careers And they were in that awful movie, The Shipping News, but I don't think they had any scenes together. But I like that answer. I don't think they have worked together since they became Kate Blanchett and Julianne Moore. So, Yeah, I, I, I mean, that might be just a lot to deal with for the two of them because they're 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 both very much you know i filed them both under women on the verge of a nervous breakdown elizabeth moss the same thing that's like that's like a genre of characters that i think that the two of them have played relentlessly and i you know again i threw elizabeth moss in there particularly somebody else has escaped my mind but that they they definitely deserve that genre (laughs) and they master that and maybe Almodovar can do it. Maybe he'll be the one to bring them together because if there is any director who understands those type of women, it's him. And maybe he's the only one who can actually deal with having multiple characters like that in one movie. Oh, yeah. I think he he told him. No one... I, I mean, very few directors, none that I can really think of, has dealt with female complexity so vividly and so compassionately as he has and so there you go i think that's a great answer and a great way to end our conversation thank you so much candace for coming on sundays with kate to talk about blue jasmine and streetcar 
And before we go, let our listeners know where they can find you and your work. You can find me on Twitter at, uh, you can just put my name, Candace Frederick, and my uh, Real Talker handle will come up. I, you can find uh, my work at CandaceFrederick.Contently.com. And you can find me on Twitter at M-E underscore says and follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Sundays with Kate. And until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you.